Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore Our Geek, episode 127. I'm Andrew, and I'm joined today by Dude, and this is the second part of our history of the Star Trek franchise. Last episode, we talked about the original series, how it got made, how it got canceled, and how it came back as a film franchise. And today we're going to pick up with the birth of Star Trek The Next Generation and the nightmare that happened behind the scenes. Yeah, first off, fans kind of got all butthurt about it because Kirk isn't going to be in it. Well, even before that, Roddenberry got kind of butthurt because they weren't originally going to involve him. (laughs) Yeah, but as we've pointed out, nobody wanted to involve him in anything after a while. Again, Roddenberry at times was a very difficult person to work with. He had alcohol abuse issues at this point and some fairly, what I would call fairly heavy recreational drug use. So he was a little bit difficult to work with. It was very clear that although Paramount had every legal right to do a show without Roddenberry, if they went ahead and tried to do the series without Roddenberry's blessing, he was going to turn the fans against them. Yeah. More so than than originally actually occurred. So they ended up bringing Roddenberry on board, and then they were supposed to be, do a network show. The original Not half time. Well, so they like I said, the original Star Trek was on NBC. Paramount tried shopping it around Star Trek: The Next Generation around to the again the three major networks: CBS, ABC, and NBC. None of them wanted it. They then went to Fox, who at the time was looking to start a fourth network, which obviously did happen. But Fox took a pass. Uh, It's also worth noting that this is actually the second time that Star Trek is considered to be used as part of the launch of a network. Mm -hmm. Star Trek Phase 2, which obviously then became Star Trek The Motion Picture, was originally being batted around as the flagship title to launch a Paramount network back in the mid-70s that never ended up happening. And eventually, Voyager will be the flagship program when Paramount finally launches a network, UPN. But we'll uh, we'll get there in a minute. So this is the late 1980s. Paramount basically agrees to make the show in its normal, you know, 24. 26 episode season and run it in first run syndication so what that means is instead of the show running on a network and then if it makes that 100 episode threshold it can then go into syndication it just starts off in syndication so i don't know about you but i had always associated star trek with cbs because the network affiliate that ran it when i was a kid was the local cbs affiliate oh so no that's that's different from the way i saw it when i got into star trek next generation it was run on Channel 11 out of New York, which I think was WPIX. And I don't remember if that had an affiliate like that was obviously attached. And again, this was a long time ago, but I never would associated I never associated Star Trek with any kind of major network until I found out that like Paramount was behind it and CBS was behind it. But at the time, it was just Channel 11. That's where you saw Star Trek, Channel well, 11. You mentioned CBS being behind it. That won't come around for a long time, actually. That's a fairly recent... Uh, evolution. Well, I understand, but it's like, again, it was it never seemed like Star Trek was ever attached to anything big other than Channel 11. Right. So now, we finally get Star Trek The Next Generation into production. And, like you mentioned, fans are not happy because... This is going to be a show that doesn't feature the original cast. And in fact, the original cast is a little bit miffed too. There's a great documentary on this whole process called Chaos on the Bridge, because although we're going to get into some of it, it was an absolute nightmare behind the scenes of these first few seasons of Next Generation, which I think is interesting because as crazy as things were behind the scenes and the show did lack a little bit of direction at times, it was still a really 
good production. There was just a lot of kind of insane things going on. At one point, Roddenberry brought his lawyer in and his lawyer was actually making script changes and got caught doing that and was ratted out to the Writers Guild and got, got himself banned from the Paramount Studios. I mean, just crazy things. But... Star Trek The Next Generation premiered in September of 1987. Actually, we are coming up very closely as I look. Son of a bitch. This episode what? will actually premiere on the 30th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation. One of my great regrets with Star Trek The Next Generation is we never get to see the rumored Picard wig that I've heard so much about. <laughs> Always wanted to see that. Yeah, that, that would have been a good one. So at one point, Gene Roddenberry wasn't super thrilled about Patrick Stewart. Several other people really did like him. And one of the major sticking points is that Patrick Stewart is very bald. Mm -hmm. And so he actually wore a toupee, a uh, wig at one point for some of the uh, the test readings and got cast despite the wig and then being bald. So yeah, Star Trek The Next Generation premiered 30 years ago, the day this episode will air. Exactly. Damn. Yeah, I totally, I totally planned that. Yeah, considering how we've had to delay this a few times, worked out. Yeah, oh, yeah, it did. That was totally the plan. <laughs> Anyways, the first season goes off, I would say, reasonably well. I think better than was probably expected. Now, as you mentioned, while this is going on, by the time the first season ends, right about that time is when Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, comes out. And Star Trek V, the kick into the nuts. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm really glad that next gen premiered before this film instead of after because i think there would have been some serious rethinking <laughs> we might not have those... gotten this next gen yeah had those been reversed star trek 5 is directed by william shatner shatner is an okay director you know if you go back and watch the final frontier purely from a a visual from a directorial standpoint it's not terrible just from that perspective the script on the other hand yeah this, this, the concept behind the script is like what are we watching yeah this was shatner's idea he was fixing on the idea of Star Trek going to look for God and instead finding the devil. Right. Or in this case, an alien that you can blow up with a disruptor on a bird of prey. I mean, to also the... the great tragedy is we never get to see William Shatner fight the rock monsters. Yeah. Although, you know, going back and looking at, at some of the special features for that DVD, the one rock monster that they made doesn't actually look as bad as I remember. <laughs> I remember it looking. I thought it was like the, like the thing from the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. And it's oh, actually God. a lot better than better looking than that. Part of the issues here is, again, they had budget problems. They didn't have a functional ending because of the Rockmen not working out. A lot of the effects shots, I've heard Shatner even say that they were hindered by their effects. The effects weren't done by ILM. They were by a company out of Hoboken, New Jersey. Hoboken known for its quality special effects. Right. And they just had experience with doing like television commercials and they were really just overwhelmed by the scale of the f of, of doing a, a major motion picture. This is one of those films, there's a lot of potential moments and it's just the execution comes apart. Yeah, I mean, this movie basically falls flat on its face. It's it does. And it is one of the lowest Star Trek films. The adjusted gross actually puts it at the second lowest just above Star Trek Nemesis. Mm. Although, Damn. again, in adjusted dollars, it beats out Star Trek Nemesis by about 50 million. <laughs> Star Trek Nemesis did not do well. No, we'll get to that. Yeah. The other fun thing about this movie, though, is the planet where they go to find God was named Shakari. And the planet is named this because originally they wanted Sean Connery to play the character of Spock's brother, Cybok. And that mm -hmm. was an enticement to try and get Sean Connery to play it. I don't know why they thought that would work, but apparently someone thought it was a good plan. Yeah, I mean, that basically encapsulates the entire film is somebody thought this was a good idea. Yeah. We're just not sure why they did. Yeah. So after Star Trek V comes out, we have a 
fairly successful run on Star Trek The Next Generation. The show starts off kind of slowly, but looking at the ratings, it begins to pick up speed right about 1991 is where, where 1991, 1992, so seasons five and six is where it peaks. And a few things happen in that time, one of which, probably most importantly, is the death of Gene Roddenberry. So at this point, Gene's health had been deteriorating for a while, and because of the conflicts behind the scenes, he had really stepped out of a lot of his roles and was really just kind of a name attached to the project and really not all that involved. So there was Roddenberry's passing. And then in addition to that, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country comes out. And Star Trek VI is great because it is very much an allegory for the end of the Cold War and the fall of the Soviet Union and what happens to these cold warriors when the world that they have grown up in changes so radically. And the film is actually released 19 days before the fall of the Soviet Union. So literally, yeah, literally these guys are in the editing room, editing scenes that are being played out in the newspapers. Obviously there is the death of the Klingon Chancellor Gorkhan and Gorkhan is very much built on the character of Mikhail Gorbachev. And at at one point when, when, as they're wrapping up the film, Gorbachev went missing and they didn't know if he was going to come out alive. So here they have this character who's based on Gorbachev who gets killed for trying to change the world and suddenly Gorbachev may be dead for that exact reason. It's a very... It's creepily uh, allegorical. I also find it impactful that they nailed this on the head so tightly as it's happening. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, realistically, they were a couple of months ahead just because of the way a film production works. Right. But, I mean, as as they're wrapping post-production and editing and things like that, I mean, they're watching their movie play out in reality. And that had to have been a very surreal experience. So, Star Trek VI is the last hurrah for the original cast as a whole. Various characters have and will continue to have cameos in various television series and films. DeForest Kelly, James Doohan, and Leonard Nimoy all had guest spots on The Next Generation. And this is at the period where after Undiscovered Country, Next Gen really gets into the swing of things. Right. Like I feel like the 90s is kind of the renaissance of Star Trek uh, in popular culture. Absolutely. And because of the success of Star Trek and and how well the show's doing, Paramount decides to do a second Star Trek series, which becomes my favorite, Deep Space Nine, which premieres January 3rd, 1993. Now, the interesting thing about Deep Space Nine is that because they already had a Starship-based television show, they decided to do this one as a quote-unquote land-based show, so they invent the space station Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing because it completely changes the direction the series have been going for years. The whole idea was to seek out new worlds and new civilizations. Now it's just, nope, we're just going to float around a planet for a couple of days, <laughs> forever. Well, Maybe we'll go out every now and again when we get a new ship in season four or something like that. It changes the franchise in a lot of ways. So there's that, although they do get the defined in season three. It allows for there to be a significantly increased cast of reoccurring characters. The last couple of seasons of Deep Space Nine become very serialized as opposed to the standard Star Trek episodic. And in fact, the fact that it became serialized was somewhat scandalous amongst Star Trek and amongst Paramount. The other thing is that the showrunner, a gentleman named Ira Stephen Bear, had almost a 180 degree thought from some of Gene Roddenberry's kind of guiding principles of high technology being very commonplace that it you know is used every day that it was all very clean and seamless 
And he created this space station that the technology frequently didn't get along. It was kind of a mismatch of different races and their technologies, the, the Cardassians and the Federation and the Bajorans. So they're constantly trying to fix the station and they're having problems. I really enjoy the show. I think it brought a lot more realism to the show. As much as it's definitely it, a darker series. It is a significantly darker series. And as much as I enjoy the utopian vision of Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek, I just feel myself drawn much further into Deep Space Nine. I, I just, I really enjoy the series. And I think the darker nature of the show allowed for the exploration of certain themes that Star Trek really hadn't gotten into before. For one, it introduced the the Bajorans more significantly than they had been previously. And the Bajorans as a race are very heavily spiritual. So that's an aspect that Star Trek really very intentionally strayed away from that now they embraced and evaluated. There's also the, the last two seasons are the Dominion Wars, which there's a lot of interesting topics like morality in, in war and things like that that other Star Trek shows really couldn't dive into because you need this long drawn out conflict in order to really justify doing them but we did keep bald captains which is the most important thing well no we didn't keep bald captains we got bald captains because cisco remember starts off with hair yeah i know but we we, we went right we fixed that we that did. was the important part we did it although corrected. it took i think it took four seasons to do it better late than never so anyways, there is about two seasons of overlap between ds9 and next generation and next generation concludes may 24th 1994 and in general, it is the highest rated iteration of Star Trek. It is the highest of the kind of contiguous modern Star Treks. In part, I don't think a comparison to the original is, is a fair comparison, just based on the change in demographics and the change in availability of television from the 1960s to the, to the 1980s, 1990s. And quite honestly, the introduction of cable, mm -hmm. which as we'll see, I think with the decline of Star Trek ratings, I honestly feel is a contributing factor to the decline in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Is you just have, you have more options available. So shortly after Star Trek The Next Generation concludes, we get the first of the Star Trek Next Generation films, Star Trek Generations, which is frequently, yeah. it's frequently sold as the passing of the torch between the Next Generation and the original crew. And the more I heard people say that, the more it pissed me off. Mm-hmm. Because the passing of a t of the torch happens from the end of one to the beginning of another. Mm -hmm. And this is from well past the end of the original cast to after Next Generation ended. And it's, it's just a very poor analogy that people just repeatedly use. It only works if you look at the films. Like, if you include the television show, it doesn't make sense. That analogy only works if you think of Star Trek as solely a film franchise. Right, which I think is, you can't do, because the... It's not fair. Just percentage-wise, Star Trek is overwhelmingly a television show. Like yeah. I said, there are over 700 hours of television. That's insane. But, unless Star Trek Generations 1, it kills Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk dies at the end of, of Star Trek Generations, which is kind of an interesting choice, I think. It, it gives some, some level of finality to the character that a lot of the other characters don't get. Another thing here is that it is it was actually written at the same time as the final episode of Next Generation and there's a really... They filmed like one day after the other, right? It was like we finished one there was a, there was the there was about a week finale and then they go right into the freaking there was about a week difference yeah so they had about a week off before they went from one to the other and you look at the release dates yeah, it wasn't even in the same it was in the same set right they didn't even change sets it was in the same set but the two were written at the same time and it's really interesting there's a 
great write-up from the anniversary of the end of Star Trek Next Generation from 2014, where the guys who wrote it, wrote both scripts, talk about how easy it was to write the last episode of Next Generation and how much they just fought and struggled to write Generations. And I think it really shows. Mm-hmm. The end of Next Generation mm-hmm. is a spectacular episode. And Star Trek Generations is a middle-of-the-road film. Yeah, it, it kind of meanders, and it doesn't really have any great big payoff. We just blow up the Enterprise again. Yep. So, January 16th of 1995, we get our fourth Star Trek uh, series, Star Trek Voyager. And as I mentioned, it launches as the flagship show of the brand new United Paramount Network, UPN. And the premiere episode is the highest viewership of any single episode of this, again, of the, the modern contiguous series by a very significant margin. The the episode in question actually has a viewership of 21 million viewers. Mm. So, I mean, that is just huge. The, the peak really averages out about 12 and a half million viewers per episode in the fifth and sixth seasons of next generation uh it's also interesting to note kind of the decline of star trek if you look at the ratings there was a consistent drop off but where deep space nine had a very a fairly gradual almost linear drop off voyager had a very significant drop and then came back up at the end so if you compare just you know first season to second season and so on ds9 and voyager start and end basically at the same place but the intermediary points are vastly different so we've got two star trek shows in production and we also get two more star trek films in 1996 and 1998 we get star trek first contact and star trek insurrection star trek first contact i think there's something to be said about bringing back a villain from the series because that seemed to be kind of the magic in star trek 2 the wrath of khan and not necessarily from a money-making standpoint but certainly from a fan standpoint star trek first contact is probably it's a second or a third depending on how people view star trek 4 yeah i've never truly understood the fan response this is one that where i i break with most of the fans i never liked this one i didn't like it when it came out i was like super disappointed in it because based on the way the trailer the way it was marketed i remember it felt like it was just gonna be like all board battle all the time and they kept the whole as, as i remember the whole going back in time aspect out of the marketing material at least from a you know a kid's point of view because i was 11 when this came out so i was like when i was sitting in the theater watching this taken completely by surprise by the direction the film went and i never quite recovered from it i've seen it like two or three times and i've just this is one where like most of the fans and i just don't agree on this one yeah and i, and I would disagree with you i really do enjoy this film this is one of those that i just along with star trek 2 that i'll just pop in in the background and just enjoy i know you'll have to pay me to do that <laughs> it's just not gonna happen i'm not paying you to do shit Awesome. Another interesting thing that happens in the interim is that in January of 1998, Star Trek The Experience opens in Las Vegas. Did you ever go to that? I didn't. Did you ever do that? I didn't, I and did. I wish I did. I did. It was pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed ridiculous, but I really wanted to. No, it was a thing. It was definitely a thing. So, Star Trek The Experience will actually close in 2001. I, I think it's I don't actually, even remember what hotel it was at. It was at the MGM Grand. Okay. Uh, I, I know. I want to say oh it was my actually... God, that place is- I want to say it was closer to 2011, actually, uh, when it ah. cl- when it closed. But afterwards, they actually did a tour with a lot of the stuff they had. They came to the Arizona Science Museum one year when I was home for Christmas. So I got to go see. They, had, they had a lot of the big models and things like that. It was really cool. So in June of 1999, after another successful seven seasons, Star Trek Deep Space Nine concludes. And in 2001, Star Trek Voyager concludes again after seven seasons. Oh, side note, September 2008 
is when it closed. 2008. There we go. And then it was they were trying to bring it back in 2009. They tried again in 2010. And they tried again in 2011. And then they lost the license. Yep. So by the end of 2001, we have a very successful Star Trek franchise. Although the ratings have you know, consistently been slowly declining. The show is still doing pretty well. It's generally well received by the fans. And, you know, there's kind of a progression, right? Star Trek The Next Generation starts off slow and then really picks up and ends on a high note. Deep Space Nine just kind of maintains while slowly declining. Voyager's a lot more hit and miss, but it's still pretty good. And then in September of 2001, Star Trek Enterprise premieres. Yay. Listen to the excitement in my voice. Right. Where Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager all continue the timeline forward. Enterprise takes place more than 100 years before the original series. And I think there there was a lot of potential in this show but let me tell you i was, was super was excited kind of for rough. it because i love scott bacula and it I, did not i do deliver. too you know i think scott bacula did a really good job i was never particularly impressed with jolene blalock's acting i didn't just care but the whole cast like there wasn't the there same are characters cast that are dynamic. like truly yeah there, there was there the cast of the star trek series have this enduring quality to them that you really just don't forget the enterprise cast was utterly forgettable like just so easily forgettable like just no no one i don't know anyone who was like will say their favorite character was anyone from the enterprise series well it's also interesting when you talk about the casts seeing kind of how the ca- the progression of the cast where next generation is very very close as as, as a cast mm. uh they didn't necessarily start that way patrick stewart actually spent a fair amount of time yelling at the cast uh early on Bill's character yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I want to get yelled at by a British, like a, a very dignified British actor. Especially if it's in the style of those memes. Right. Deep Space Nine, you don't really hear much either way. Voyager, interestingly enough, there have been a lot of things to come out really in the last like two months about problems between Kate Mulgrew and Jerry Ryan. Damn, I didn't know that. So a lot of it comes from the fact that Kate Mulgrew was very adamant that Captain Janeway not become romantically involved with the crew that she needed to stand apart which is an actually is a stance that i would agree with i think it worked better in in the show however the producers wanted someone that they could use in that romantic capacity so when they got rid of the character of kess they brought in jerry ryan as seven of nine and very much played up her sexuality and it's fairly obviously a slap in the face to kate mulgrew's stance and so because of that the the two of them just didn't really get along kate mulgrew would would frequently push Ryan through scenes. You know, on a television show, a lot of times in between takes, they'll run out and try and fix actors' makeup. And Mulgrew just had no patience for this anytime it was a scene with just she and Jerry Ryan. So it's kind of interesting to, to see that all these years later, you're talking 15, 16 years later, that this stuff is coming out now. You know, as I remembered, Janeway's only romantic liaison anywhere was that hologram guy, right? You know, Didn't she like mac it with a hologram? It's been a while since I've watched or since I've watched Voyager, so I don't remember specifically. But yeah, she was very much non-sexualized, which is the opposite of Seven of Nine, who was hypersexual. Yeah, Seven of Nine had a relationship with that suit. <laughs> yeah, whether or not she wanted it, that, that I had a relationship with that suit. That suit was actually apparently the original one, the silver one with the ribbing, yeah. was apparently very painful to wear because of that ribbing. Jeez, I can. I heard I, it took like three people to get her into it. I've also heard that. But... I will. I I will you could you don't have to pay me for that i will pay you for that job <laughs> yeah so in the middle of kind of the disaster that turned 
into Star Trek Enterprise. And again, I think the show had a lot of potential, and I think just some of the execution was rough. The third season decision to turn it into a, a serialized The Hunt for the Zindi. There's some good episodes in there, but as a whole, it was pretty rough. But in the middle Truthfully, of- I think the mistake was going back in time. I really think they got a, that show, the franchise benefits from going forward, in my opinion. No, I absolutely think it does. However, I think they could have done better than they did. Well, they could have, but I feel like they, in my opinion, I think they got handicapped to start. Yeah. So in the middle of Enterprise's run comes Star Trek Nemesis in December of 2002. And this is the lowest grossing Star Trek film, period. Yeah, this is the next generation Star Trek Final Frontier. Yeah, this one, it's, it's very rough weird there was a lot of potential again cool battle, I think. Scene. cool battle scene i think the idea of the picard clone was kind of it was weird but i think it was cool and then i think it i think some of the execution was was rough yeah and and this kind of becomes emblematic of star trek because you have nemesis that doesn't do very well and then in 2005 enterprise gets canceled after four seasons due to low ratings and in fact it was more like fans just wanted this show to go away more than they wanted to get another star trek to just stop just stop already no more well you know i remember you and i talking at the time because we were in college then that star trek really needed to take a break for a while. We needed a break. Unfortunately, in January <laughs> of 2006, Viacom purchased Paramount and a television company, CBS Paramount Television, is created. And only a couple of months later, the Daily Variety starts to report rumors of a new Star Trek film being developed. And then officially in 2007, in February, J.J. Abrams is announced as the director of a brand new Star Trek film that is going to explore Spock and Kirk as young men at Starfleet academy this starts the star trek reboot that consists of the 2009 star trek 2013's star trek into darkness and 2016's star trek beyond now i'm not gonna do you know how it got the the name the calvin universe is have you figured that out no it's the kelvin universe that's what i said kelvin universe yeah, because the starship that Kirk's father is on is the USS Kelvin. Oh, is that where? And it comes that's from? that's where that's the point at which the timelines diverge. Oh yeah, that's stupid. Okay. Yep. So as I as we kind of just alluded to there, this becomes a divergent timeline. So the point at which the Romulan ship Narada comes through time and intersects with the USS Kelvin, the starship that is. Jam- oh, by Thor. Well. It's James T. Kirk's father is on, is, serves on. From that point on, these two timelines start to diverge rather significantly. And things start to get stupid. Yep. I mean, to be fair, these films have done very well. Yeah. No, they, they look, can't take that away from Abrams. He, may, he knows how to make people money. He does. They just don't feel very Star Trek to, 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 <laughs> to, a, lot of, you, to a lot of Star Trek it. films. It, it's, an act, it's a space action film with a Star Trek uh, veneer. Yeah, it's just reskinned an action movie. I mean, they literally got the director for Beyond was from the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Now, I, I do think J.J. Abrams did a lot of good things with the first film. And I think in a lot of ways, he was very loyal to the original series. The problem, I think, is that while being faithful to the original series is good, there is been so much that has happened since then that it just it falls flat yep stupid so all is not lost however in november of 2005 cbs makes the announcement that there will be a new star trek series originally scheduled to premiere in january of 2017 you mean announced in november of 2015 yes i'm sorry november 2015 and the show's originally intended to launch in january of 2017 due to some production issues the show is pushed back and as of of recording this episode the show premiered yesterday september 24th 2017 
2017. Mm -hmm. And this is Star Trek Discovery. So interesting that as part of the J.J. Abrams, the Kelvin Universe films, there was actually a an agreement signed that a Star Trek show would not premiere until six months after Star Trek Beyond finished, mm -hmm. which is why the show was originally scheduled to be in January of 2017. Right. So Star Trek Discovery premiered yesterday. Dude, did you watch it? Nope. Oh. Did not even remotely have time to do that I wanted to, and I didn't even have a chance. Killing me. So I enjoyed it. Uh, I went over and watched it with our friends Ellen and Nate. Did you have a premiere party? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. I mean, it was us couple of toddlers a couple of infants and a, a pan of lasagna so you know <laughs> party is a loose term yeah well i mean nerd party that sounds about right yeah i think there is a lot of potential in this show i am still somewhat skeptical of the redesign for the klingons but i think God, it's so weird i don't know why they keep doing that i don't either other than the klingons are the iconic villain of mm -hmm. the franchise yeah, I think there's potential there. They're on a very fine ledge. Mm -hmm. They could do very well with this redesign. They could fall off the cliff. Right. And, and with only two episodes so far, not quite sure. I do really like the look of the ships. You see a lot of different ships in these first two episodes. Mm -hmm. And they do a good job of bridging the look and the feel of Enterprise to, I would call the Star Trek the motion picture, the redesign Enterprise. Not right. a, Not as much the, the classic uh, Enterprise. Right. They do a really good job there. Uh, the show is set 10 years before the original series and it deals with the origins of the conflict between the Klingons and the Federation. So if you remember in the original series there is the Organian Treaty that mm -hmm. basically kind of chills the hostility between the Klingons and the Federation. Before that it's it's very nearly open warfare. Mm -hmm. And this series is dealing with how it got to that point. It makes a lot more sense why they put the kibosh on Axanar now, doesn't it? It does. It does a lot. Yep. I will say the show looks great. Mm. I think uh, some of the cast is pretty good. Doug Jones is in it, who normally kind of a um, like a physical actor, mm -hmm. does a lot of like suits and costumes. He played Abe Sapien in Hellboy, and he's done some other like creature kind of suits. But he actually does a pretty good job in this, I thought. So I'm excited for for Discovery. Is that the consensus amongst fans too that there's there's this kind of new optimism for Star Trek moving forward? I think there's optimism for the show. Um, certainly, critics are enjoy are liking it. It's actually gotten a, a fairly warm critical reception, which can't always be said of Star Trek. The big complaint from fans is coming from the fact that the first two episodes are available online for free, right. but after that that it is going to be part of CBS's streaming service CBS All Access. So head to the BitTorrents, kids. Well, there's that. I, again, I will say though, Star Trek has been repeatedly used or attempted to be used for launching of new networks, new ventures. Right? They tried to use it for the launching of a Paramount network in the 70s. They offered it to Fox as part of their network. It launched UPN. So the fact that they're using it to help push this uh, streaming service, I think, is not the worst idea. And I think if the show does. If the show is well produced, I think people will go ahead and pay a couple of bucks for it. Yeah, why not? There has been a fair amount of fairly disgruntled internet bitching about about the pay, the streaming uh, setup. Mm -hmm. But it's also the internet and people like to bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally on board with that one. So uh, we shall see what happens. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So that is how we got from a show that was canceled in the 1960s to one of the biggest franchises in Hollywood right now. Yep. It's kind of been a crazy ride. It is, it's literally the show that will not die. No, it will not. Or the franchise that won't die. Yeah. Although it, it does, especially when you when you think of things, shows out there like soap operas that have been going for, you know, decades. It yeah. certainly doesn't have the most number of episodes. But for a non-soap opera show, 
show like this, it's certainly one of the highest. Uh, Law and Order probably probably beats it out. Mm. It's, I mean, and, and you know, it's also got one of the most loyal fan bases. That's for sure. I mean, they have multiple names for, you know, to call themselves as, as fans. There's Trekkies and there's Trekkers. Right. You know, technically you and I are Trekkers. How so? So Trekkies, if you're being 100% technical about it, are people who have been around, have been with the series since the beginning, since the original series. Ah, I get and it. And then people who have come on afterwards are considered Trekkers. Got it. Yep. So technically you and I are Trekkers. Okay. And I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm. If someone wants to fight me on it, okay. okay. No, I think it. Look, the the and not we just we just touched on kind of the big mainstream stuff. There's been video games, there have been comic books, there have been all sorts of other mediums Star Trek has perforated into and been successful with, oh, yeah, I and mean, people you, are just still just love it. Yeah, I mean, there are literally hundreds of Star Trek novels, there are mm-hmm. hundreds of issues of comic books, dozens of video games. I, I sit on my phone and dink around playing Star Trek timelines way more than I should right now. Yeah. And I've been wasting hours on Star Trek Online. Yeah. I, I mean, I, like, I, I'm going to play it right when we're done here. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. I mean, this, this is a, a show that has permeated the lives of of America. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- yeah, th- phrases like beam me up, Scotty, have become part of the popular lexicon, not just science fiction fans. Even though he never actually says that in the show. No, he does e- eventually say something very close to it in Star Trek 4, though. It eventually gets there? Yes. You know, that, yeah, that, that that is one of those, like, classic phrases that... That people misremember. That, yeah, and th- there's, a, there's a lot of them, but yeah, that's the, that's the Star Trek one, is beam me up, Scotty. Yep. All right, folks. If you like what we do, make sure you head on over to thereforegeek.com. Check out our blog posts on our podcast. You can fi- you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Burr, burr, burr. So once again, I'm Andrew. I'm the dude. Live long and prosper.